Let's pray. Lord, may we hear through the scriptures today the readings that we've heard and the whole counsel of God in the Bible. May we hear what you're saying to us about justice in our society and how we might live for you as your disciples. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. It's, uh, it's great to be here. Thank you for your welcome. Uh, and uh, when uh, I offered to preach because I was coming to license Sarah, and then Matt said, yeah, the, the sermon is called, How Can We Build a More Just Society? Okay, I thought, so I'm going to have to work a bit at this. Um, so you're going to have to work a bit at this too. Uh, and I've got a question for you just to think about briefly. In this last week, where have you seen issues of justice or injustice in society, either around you or on the telly or heard it on the radio? Any issues of justice or injustice? Quickly think. I'll ask you to shout out in just a moment. You're getting about 20 seconds, so think fast. Okay, loud voices. Just shout out. Any issues relevant? TV. TV. What comes through the TV ears? Yep, okay. Thank you. Food poverty. Food poverty. Thank you. A bit louder. Thank you. Violent crime. Yeah, we might come back to that one. <clears throat> we will come back to that one. So that's great. There will be more, but you're not brave enough to shout. So I thought of issues of wealth and poverty. Uh, employment, fair pay and decent employment rights, trade justice between nations, because uh, normally richer nations don't do it fairly, uh, the impact of climate change, climate justice. This talk is largely going to be about justice in the UK, but actually there will be no justice unless it's global. Climate justice is huge. Education and equality of access to education. Health provision and equality of access to health provision and care in later years. Taxation, what does a just tax system look like? Justice for refugees that were mentioned. Modern slavery. There could be many more. All of these things are relevant to whether we live in a just society and how we might make it more so. And we cannot go into any detail about any of these at all today, because there isn't time. But we could ask, why should we care about these things as Christians? And what might some of our response be? I'm going to just do a bit of a rain check here with three questions. I'm going to give you a moment to think about them, and then if you're willing to, just to talk in twos and threes about them for a couple of minutes. Three questions which I think might be kind of lenses that we look through at these issues without realising it, and they might affect how we hear what the scriptures say, or maybe don't hear them. So let me just try these questions on you. Here we go. Are people poor or well-off more because of their own choices, or more because of circumstances beyond their control? That's the first question. The second one isn't moving on as I click the clicker. Okay. Uh, do people get what they deserve in life? To what extent is wealth a reward and poverty a punishment? Or is that just not how it is at all? And the third question is, how do we improve the lot of everybody? Is it through fairer sharing of what's in the pot already? Or creating more wealth, making a bigger pot... So there's more to be shared. 
There are all three of them. You've got two or three minutes just to talk. You can think on your own if you'd rather or talk to two or three neighbours. What do you think about those questions? Off you go. You've got 30 seconds more. <laughs> okay, if you could draw your conversations to a close, please. So, if we treat these questions as simple either-ors, one or the other, they're false alternatives. In each one, no doubt, there's a bit of a spectrum, and you might decide where you land on that spectrum. Just a few thoughts. The first one, we can surely affect our own situation by making wise choices, by working hard, often. But people can be so disadvantaged by poverty, or through discrimination of many kinds, that the dice are just hugely loaded against them. It's like you're at the bottom of the ladder, and the bottom six rungs are missing as well. So yes, we can affect our situation. Maybe we can be better off because of what we do, but for some people, that's really, really tough. Second one, do people get what they deserve? Well, sometimes, again, partly we get what we deserve. Do your best, work hard. Sometimes it works. But the idea that everyone's lot in life is clearly a reward for whether they're good or a punishment for whether they're bad, if you look at the world for 10 seconds, it must be nonsense. Because there are wonderful people working really hard in many parts of our country or the world, and they're having a really tough time. It's just not how it is. Now, there are versions of Christianity which try to say... Wealth is a reward from God. I've never understood the argument. Um, and the nearer you get to Jesus teaching about discipleship and generosity, I don't understand it at all. You might disagree with me on that, but I struggle with that simple reward thing. It doesn't work for me. And the third question, 
You know, do we share more or do we increase the pot? It's a really basic political divide, this one, isn't it? And as we try and think Christianly, we need to recognize where we come from in kind of more left or right. I'm not going to tell you which I think is right or wrong, but we need to recognize where we're coming from. Some people think the main problem in our country and our world is a lack of distribution, a lack of fair sharing. Others say we need entrepreneurs, we need businesses to take risks, to generate wealth, to provide employment, so that there's anything to share in the first place. So, classic right of centre view is there will be more to go around with more business. And then that might trickle down through employment and charity to people in need. The classic left of centre response is that if you just leave things to the market like that, never nearly enough trickles down. Now, I would suggest to you the truth here is somewhere in the middle. A careful balance between business, first sector, and then government, the second sector of the state, through taxation and welfare. And then the third, charitable and voluntary sector, in balance, giving us a chance to create both a prosperous and a reasonably fair society. Now, I've just raised these three questions right at the outset, because I think they're often lenses that we look through at issues of justice without realising that they're there in the first place. Um, and we need to sometimes just check our assumptions uh, and ask them, ask in the light of Scripture, whether actually they're right or not. So no simple answers here, but I thought I'd raise those at the outset. When you get to Scripture, there is a wealth of biblical teaching about matters of justice. It's huge. And overall, I would suggest to you the picture is pretty clear that God does not think disparity is fine or natural or deserved. While prosperity is always to be received thankfully when it comes as a gift, poverty is not seen as deserved in the Bible. And God challenges his people endlessly to tackle injustice and to be generous. Um, I'm an archdeacon, so I'm very involved in the wider life of the diocese. The diocese has said that for this current period of our life, there are four priorities that need to affect our mission. And one of those four is tackling poverty. And that's not random. It's because it is a huge theme in Scripture, and it's hugely relevant in our contemporary world. And the, the two readings chosen for this morning, there could have been loads of different readings, the two chosen for today are examples of very relevant biblical teaching. So let's have a little look at them. I think I've put a few verses on the overhead, though um, I plan for a bigger screen. This clicker isn't working. Can you move it on to the next one, please? Thank you. So, Book of Amos. Book of Amos is a great rant. Amos is livid. He is hugely angry at the injustice he sees in his society. And it's not just his anger. He says this is the anger of God. So look at verse 11. He has a go at taxes. He complains about unfair taxes on the poor. Now, I've already raised the question, uh, how do you balance taxing wealthy people and businesses who've got more, but in a way that still incentivizes them to, to be there in the marketplace working, generating wealth? What a relevant issue in our country. Rishi Sunak got really criticized by the left for the hike in national insurance. Why? Because it's not a tax that affects the wealthy more than the poor. It just hits the poor harder relatively. 
And what about the fuel cost relief? Should that have been the same amount of money per household, whether you're rich or poor, or should it have been means-related? What do you think? I don't know if you're listening to the news this morning. All the runners and riders in the Tory leadership race are getting going, and the main item on the news about them this morning was taxation. What are their tax bills, uh, tax plans? Are they going to actually reverse that national insurance increase? Are they going to tax business more or less? There it all is. Amos was concerned about fair taxes in his day, which was nearly 3,000 years ago. What do we think fairness in taxation looks like today? Amos also saw disparity in wealth growing. He talks about people who've built stone mansions. This is fascinating. Archaeologists have gone back to 8th century Israel, they've dug down, and discovered in Amos' time what he says here is exactly what was happening. There was, before him, fairly reasonable distribution, houses each with a small holding. And, and then in the 8th century BC, we suddenly see slum areas starting, plus a few very large houses with bigger vineyards and farms. Exactly like Amos said, archaeology has shown that that was going on. It might be nice to have a great big house, but if it means most people are in the slum and they've got no land to grow food, that's not good. And when injustice is growing, what you need is a really effective justice system so people can defend their property rights and their livelihood. But throughout this reading, we hear Amos saying, actually, people do not speak the truth in court. Verse 10, there are those who hate the one who upholds justice in court and the one who tells the truth. Can we have the next slide, please? Uh, and then verse... Yes, the top of that slide. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Some years ago, I witnessed an astonishingly dangerous crime. Basically, I saw a guy who was being chased by the police, driving in the most astonishing way, wrong side of the road, nearly hit me, turned out across the mainstream of traffic without looking, cleared off at great speed. I found out later he'd gone at over 90 through a 30-mile-an-hour limit in a village. Um, so I phoned the police. I thought this was relevant. I said, I've just witnessed a crime. You might want my um, witness statement. And they said, oh, no, actually, there are some police exercises going on in that area today. That's probably what you've seen. So I said, if that was police exercises, you guys are in a lot of trouble. Uh, it wasn't. Uh, it was exactly what I'd seen. Anyway, so... The police came round and I told them, just because I thought this is important that they get this testimony. And immediately I was assigned a witness protection officer who said to me, you must think carefully, do you want to go through with this? Because actually we need to tell you this, this is not a nice guy, which is why he was running. Um, you know, you need to think carefully about whether you're willing to stand up in court and say your stuff. And I thought, ooh, <laughs> there's a thought. Um, but I said, no, it's really important. Of course I'll do that. Now, I'm really grateful he pleaded guilty, so I never had to go. But the whole incident really brought home to me, if you're going to have justice done, if people are going to speak the truth in court, you need a really good system with support when necessary for witnesses and for victims. But it's fragile. If you haven't got that stuff, people go, mm, the prudent keep quiet in such times, for the times are evil. Truth-telling. At every level, and integrity are essential to any society if there's going to be a chance of justice. 200 years ago, London became the financial 
services capital of the world. And one of the main reasons that happened is because of the Christian revival that happened in the 19th century, so that the word of a businessman, as it was then, was seen as their bond. They were trustworthy. Integrity led to prosperity. Many people who work in international development find that the greatest obstacle to enabling people to develop small businesses and get to a point where they can actually, you know, they can generate enough wealth themselves, they don't need any aid anymore, the greatest enemy is often corruption. It's like an acid that burns through the hardest work and the best laid plans for developing all that infrastructure you need for long-term prosperity and growth. I said we'd come back to it. Well, we've just had months where questions of truth and integrity in politics at the highest level have been front and centre in our country. We often hear politicians say the public aren't interested in this, they're interested in what I want to talk about. They're wrong. We're really interested in this because if they're not trivial, if trust and integrity are lost, it is hugely damaging in every way throughout society. If those in law enforcement and political leadership can't be trusted, justice is going to rot. All of which is to say, really robust institutions of state and society, they might look boring often, bureaucracy and all that, but no, they are absolutely vital to maintain, let alone improve social justice. And I want to say among those vital signs of health in a society must be a free press to hold those in power to account. If the press are getting attacked, smell a rat. Donald Trump, take note. We easily underestimate the value of integrity, personal and social, and the work that we need to do to sustain it. These things are really hard to build up and maintain, and really easy to lose. Well, Amos noticed that in his time, truth and integrity were lost, and it was having a direct effect on justice. He diagnosed the problems of injustice in his time acutely. But we also need a vision of what good might look like, which our second reading from Isaiah gave. Could we have the next slide up, please? Isaiah looked forward to a time when all the things that can make life miserable were in the past. He says in verse 20, there won't be any infant mortality and people will live to a very ripe old age indeed. We have huge questions currently in our society about the health service and social care. Massive political issues, of course. The NHS was invented originally to respond to illness, acute illness. It has expanded hugely to deal with our well-being, our health and well-being in every way, but its resourcing has not. Now, we don't have to do it like this, of course. We don't have to have a national health service. Other nations privatise healthcare and the insurance companies do really, really well. My dad lived in the States for the last 30 years of his life, and he was often really worried about the level of health insurance he could afford. That's not a nice thing. So what do we want for our society? Which system will mean there'll be good care available whether you can pay for it or not? I know my answer to that. I think a well-resourced, a better-resourced NHS moves us closer to Isaiah's vision than a depleted and privatised one. But what do you think? And Isaiah also reflected a world in which 
uh, your work is rewarded appropriately. Amos said, you've built houses, but you're not going to live in them. (laughs) You've planted vineyards, you won't drink the wine. Isaiah says the opposite. Your work, and you will see the fruits of your labor. Work is hugely important, but it's really alienating if you work as hard as you can and there's not enough at the end of the day for you and your family. Um, And that's a reality for many people in our country. Issues about fair pay. Many Christians are involved in the living wage campaign because that's vital for basic well-being. And there's a recognition in Isaiah as well that inequality can be so woven into a society that you just can't escape. He says in another verse that slipped off the bottom of the slide, he says, they will not toil in vain or bear children deemed doomed to misfortune. Children doomed to misfortune. What a phrase. Children can be pretty much doomed to misfortune if there's no equality of opportunity in our society. It is not an accident that about half of our prisoners in our country are functionally illiterate. And a very large proportion of them have suffered abuse of many kinds in their upbringing. We all know what a good upbringing, good formation, nurture and education of children enables in a child. It gives them the best chance in life. The opposite does the opposite. It won't be like this. There will not be children doomed to misfortune in a society shaped by God, says Isaiah. Are some of our children doomed to misfortune? What do we need to do about that? Um, I've got four really simple suggestions for how we might respond to creating a more just society. Um, Very, very quickly here. First of all, fair trade. I've said this is a sermon focused on the UK, but justice must be global. Do you buy fair trade products when you can, because they make a difference? Do you buy products that have low environmental impact when you can? It costs more, of course it does, but that's about climate justice. Second thing, um, ethical investment. investment. If you're fortunate enough to have some financial resources, you didn't deserve it, fortunate, that's what I think on that question. If you're fortunate enough, how are they invested? Is your money funding tobacco companies or, or companies growing palm oil and deforesting large swathes of the world? Do you know? Or is your money ethically invested? It's actually quite simple now. There are really good ethical financial products. Um, you've just got to switch. You might actually do really well from them. You might not make quite as much interest. But we are responsible to God for what our money is doing in his world. Third thing, um, on issues that matter, write to your MP. If you write to your MP or send an email, they will assume loads of other people think the same, but they haven't bothered. Writing to your MP, the the post bag, the email inbox, really affects what they think, can affect how they vote. So if you share the view of all the bishops that the Rwanda refugee scheme is not just towards refugees, write to your MP. If if you think our system of taxation, our housing policy, free school meals, if you think we're wrong on these and other issues, write to your MP, get in their ear, it makes a difference. And fourthly, and most important, what action can you take individually and locally as a church? I have no particular suggestions for you here, because you live here and I don't. But there are issues of justice, a quality of access to education or housing, all sorts of things, food poverty, simple things, in your community, 
What, what can you do that will actually make our society more just? And if as a church you can partner with other organisations, whether Christian or secular, that's a great thing to do, a really great thing to do. And the witness of working with others is very powerful. And if you're sitting here thinking, this is all sort of important, but I think it's much more important to share the gospel and help people be Christians, these things work together. A church which clearly shows love for people in the community earns the right to be heard when we speak about the good news of Jesus. Both go well together or they fall apart, apart, I'd suggest to you. That's an awful lot of words and probably more than enough. Thank you for listening. What do you think about these issues? Discuss them with each other. Challenge each other to be good news so that you earn the right to tell good news. And God bless you in all that he calls you to do here. Amen.